The story of a family on Easter weekend on Saturday morning that took a bike ride. And so this family had small little kids. And on Friday, they all went to the Good Friday service at their church. And the dad and the son began to ride ahead of the mom and the daughter. And the son turned to the dad and said, hey, Jesus died on the cross. And this wasn't surprising to this dad. This dad and mom had spent time. In the Jesus Storybook Bible, maybe um, walking through the gospel and the scriptures with their kids. And so it wasn't surprising that this five-year-old little boy said that, hey, dad, Jesus died on the cross. And so the dad, wanting to know more about his little boy's thoughts about Jesus dying on the cross, asked the next question, well, what next? What happened next to Jesus? And as he, the boy was thinking and deep in thought, the dad was wondering what he was going to say. Mom and daughter come up, so now there's an audience to the situation. And the dad turns to the mom and said, Jesus died on the cross. And um, um, our son is about to tell us what happens next. And so feeling the nervousness of that, you see the boy's face churning and thinking. And then his eyes got really, really big. And he goes, I know what happens next. The Easter Bunny brings me candy. All the hopes and the dreams of the great dad and his little theologian fall by the wayside at that point. Now listen, that's a silly story, but the reality is, I know we don't often think like this little boy, and he is misunderstanding of the resurrection and Easter or, for that matter, Santa Claus or a Christmas tree. I don't think that's where we're at in our understanding, most of us, of the cross and the resurrection. But if you think about it, we understand in church world, we hear a lot about the cross. And rightfully so. It's the centerpiece of history. It's the centerpiece of what God has done through us, for us through His Son. And yet what we tend to do is we get dressed up in Easter and our pastels Men, maybe we shouldn't wear that only on Sunday, I don't know. And we remember the resurrection, and what the resurrection often becomes is just the proof, right? And, and it's not less than that, it's not the proof of what Jesus did and said, that he overcame death and sin. We, we know that, but, but that's kind of where we leave it. But there's so much more that the Bible has to say about the implications of the resurrection, and Oftentimes in the New Testament, just to be clear, when New Testament authors talk about the cross, they mean the whole package. So I don't mean to divide these things, but we need to dig deeper into the implications of the resurrection because we often just leave it with the apologetic piece, don't we? But there's way more in the Bible. There's way more that God wants us to know and understand because the Christian life is about newness. The Christian life is about the power of sin being overcome by the resurrection. So you and I walk in the newness of life. And in the end, when we look to the end of maybe even our, a family member to look and go, what happens to them when they die? What happens to me when I die? There's lots of implications to the resurrections. And, and sometimes it, it feels a little bit subjective, so we're trying to make sense of it. But I want to tell you that the resurrection matters for Monday. It matters for Monday. Turn with me again. Last week we were in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 1 through 8. And today we're going to kind of peruse and mine out some resurrection truths and implications to your life and my, my, my life for living life now. Not just looking at the cross and seeing the resurrection and the proof of the resurrection and looking to the future and saying we're going to be resurrected too. 
But how does this affect Monday morning? How does the resurrection do that? So four real life reasons the resurrection matters. Last week we looked at the gospel reminder that Paul gave to the Corinthians. How they were sidetracked and forgetful. We looked at the path of forgiveness that is given to us. Because Christ died for our sins. So if we're guilty, we have a path to forgiveness. We looked at hard evidence for the skeptic, right? That Paul walks through all this evidence of the resurrection of Jesus. And then we talked about resurrection hope and we are fearful. And we are worried about today or tomorrow. So for real life reason, the the resurrection matters on Monday. That's what I want to hit today. This text, 1 Corinthians 15, it's really meaty. He goes into all kinds of things about the resurrection and its importance. It's probably the the central passage that you could go to other than the passages about Jesus' resurrection and ascension in the Gospels. But if you want to know about resurrection, 1 Corinthians 15 is the place. So let me read. I'm just going to, we're going to do this a little bit differently today. I'm going to take a section of verses and read them and then we're going to explain and understand and apply and continue to walk through this passage in that way. 1 Corinthians 15, let's look at verses 12 through 20, pages 961 on the Bible next to you if you need it. We're going to be looking at a number of texts today and so um, pray you can keep up. Uh, 1 Corinthians 15, 12 through 20, I want to read that. Here's what Paul has to say, and I want you to remember one thing before I read, and you're going, okay, are you going to read it, or are you going to keep talking? Um, Remember the Greek culture of this day. Remember why Paul is talking about resurrection, because in Greek culture, they just thought you died, you lived, and you died, and that was it. And the idea of any kind of resurrection in that day was laughable. It was laughable to think that one day you would bodily raise from the dead and have new life. So keep that in mind as I read verse 12. Now, if Christ is proclaimed and raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, your faith is in vain. We're even found to be misrepresenting God. We're liars because we testified about God that he, was, he has raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if it is true, That the dead are not raised. And if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ is not raised, your faith is futile. And you are still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have also perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people the most to be pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. Now look down at the end of his conclusion about this in verse 32, at the second part of verse 32. If the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Here's your first point this morning about why resurrection matters for your life and your faith. If Christ is not raised, our faith is beyond worthless. Our faith is beyond worthless if Christ is not raised. There are seven things that Paul says. I'm not going to go through every one of them in detail, but he says seven things about resurrection. And the first one's the most important, right? That if Christ isn't raised, there's six other things that don't happen. There's six other things. If he's not raised, your message, the message of the gospel that you've been sharing, and the message of the gospel that we've been persecuted for, and you're being persecuted for, that message is empty. It's meaningless if Christ has not been raised. Your faith is in vain. You're wasting all your life and your time on a faith that's not real. You are still in your sins. 
If Christ has not been raised, you still need forgiveness. You don't have forgiveness from God if Christ isn't raised. And worse yet, you're a liar. We're lying. We're misrepresenting God. We're like the Jehovah Witnesses and the Mormons who are out sharing a false message with people. We're lying. We're misrepresenting God. That's why it's beyond worthless. And, and the people who have died that you know who have believed in Christ, they're still dead. They haven't been raised either. And last, we are the most to be pitied. Pitied. See, Christianity crumbles without the resurrection and the cross, or the cross and the resurrection. See, faith, your faith, my faith is an absolute joke. It's an absolute joke if Christ isn't raised. You need to find something else to do on Sunday morning if Christ isn't raised. The, the strawberries are out in April, so go take your family to the strawberry farm. In May, you've got blueberries. You've got a lake to go hang out at. You can go play golf. You can get your first watch of the Masters before it starts today. Like your faith is worthless. Our faith is worthless without resurrection. But resurrection brings meaning and purpose to our faith and our lives. I don't know about you, but I look at my faith in Christ as all through the lens. I look through the lens of faith, and I try to at least in all of my life, and all of that is worthless if Christ isn't raised. But Christ, verse 20, is raised. Do you see it? Jesus is raised. He is raised from the dead. And that changes everything. That means your message, the message of the gospel, is amazing. There's no greater message that you should own and share with others than the message of the cross and the resurrection. Because Jesus is raised, your faith matters. There's purpose and meaning in your life and the way you're choosing to live it. It means that your sins are forgiven because Christ is raised. It means that you're telling the truth. You're telling the truth about Jesus and the truth of Scripture that people need to hear. That means the people in your life that have died but trusted in Jesus, there is hope for them. That's what it means. It means that there is purpose in your life. Your faith brings purpose. I want you to think about this. Sometimes it's hard to understand the, the connection, cross, resurrection. And we talk about the resurrection confirming, right? And, and validating, validating our faith. This summer, my wife and I are taking a trip to Colorado. Um, Acts 29, every few years, does this um, pastors and wives retreat. For Acts 29, some of you asked the question, well, why are we in Acts 29? Well, pastor and his wife get to go on a retreat. Just kidding. Just kidding. My wife, see, what happens when my wife is in there is, is as I do this. I hope she doesn't listen. Um, I'm joking. I'm joking. But there's a retreat this summer, and we're, we're going to it, and I had to go register for this retreat on the Acts 29 website. And one of the things they let you do is tack on a few days on the end. So you have the conference, which is Acts 29 takes care of most of that. You can tack on days to the front or the end of it. And so I'm thinking, my wife and I hadn't been away for a while, so we're going to tack a few days on. And so I go to register on the Acts 29 website, and I go through it, and I register for the conference, and then there's a question. Do you want to add X amount of days to the front end, the back end? You had to give information. So I clicked what I wanted, and I got through it, and then I got the confirmation email, right? Well, the confirmation email only had the conference on it. It only had the, like the three-day conference on it, and I tacked on three more days for a hotel, and I hadn't yet booked the plane tickets. I hadn't booked the rental car. I hadn't booked any other plans, and so I'm nervous. There's no mention at all of the other few days that we tacked on. So I don't want to go book a plane flight three days before 
the vacation three days before the conference starts and show up to a hotel and say, hey, we don't have anything for you. And I'm going to sleep in, a, in my car where the bears are out. Not interested in doing that. I don't have much trust yet without validation, without confirmation. And so I call. <laughs> I looked at all the fine print I could look at on the website. I called the lady at Acts 29 and I said, hey, can you help me out? I, I, I clicked this button, but there's no confirmation of it. She's like, well, just trust us. Um, you know, before, and, and there's COVID and all that going on, so they're making sure of those things, but just trust us. You know, and, and at some point we'll get you some, some more information about those nights, but it's fine. It's booked. I'm like, I don't have confirmation. I'm going to show up, and, and, and bad things are going to happen. This is the way I think. Sorry, worst case scenario. But you know what? I haven't planned a lot of stuff yet. I'm still worried. Let let me tell you what happens. See, the cross, at the cross, Jesus paid the price up front for our sins. And the resurrection validates and confirms it. It gives us a sure hope that we can validate that ticket. And in the meantime, we can entrust and enjoy the time in between. That we know we've invested in something we can cash in on, if you will. Do you get that? See, the resurrection, because Christ is raised, our faith is not worthless. It's worth something. It's validated. It's confirmed. And it changes the way I live today. So on Monday, this matters. Because I assume that you want your life to count for something. I I want, I want my life to count for something. I want there to be purpose in my life. I assume you want that too. See, if Christ isn't raised, the message of the gospel is the biggest Ponzi scheme that you've been looped into. Think Enron. Think Bernie Madoff. But it's not. Because Christ is raised and it's validation and confirmation of your faith. Have you ever seen the religious person that doesn't believe in Jesus? Maybe it's in a different country or maybe you watch them and they're, and they're doing all these religious acts like for four hours they're, they're praying to a certain direction. And what do you think? Like man, they are so sincere and they're so committed but they're the most to be pitied because they've got the message wrong. We've got the message right. The truth of the gospel is confirmed at the resurrection. See, Christ is raised. And so it changes the meaning and the purpose of your life and mine. Your faith is rooted in the confirmation of a risen Savior who secures it, who gives worth and purpose to your life. But speaking of investing, speaking of investing, what do we do with our lives? Okay, If life itself and our faith has purpose, what do we do with it? What does that look like in our lives? What do we invest in and what matters that we ought to invest in? Look at verse 58. And I know I'm skipping, but I'm perusing this text to give you implications. So look at verse 58. It's the very end of this chapter where he spends the rest of the chapter talking about the resurrection of the dead and the validity of the resurrection. He talks about resurrection bodies, which we're going to get to in a minute. And at the very end of this chapter... And he talks about the victory that we have because of Jesus over death and sin. And then he says, therefore. So he's wrapping up. He's looking back and saying, because all this is true, therefore, Corinthian church, be steadfast. Be faithful, as we sang about. 
be faithful. You have this message of the cross and resurrection that is true, gives meaning to your life. Be immovable. It's a picture of the soldier not moving in the face of adversity. Always abounding. Abounding. The idea of more and more. In, the, in what? Abounding in what? In the work of the Lord. So that's your focus. The work of the Lord. Knowing that in the Lord your labor or work is not in vain. There's eternal significance. Here's your second idea. Since Christ is raised, living a life on mission or a life of service to Him and for His kingdom has eternal significance. What you do with this life has significance. Your time in this life matters. See, as Christians, we're not sitting around eating bonbons waiting for Jesus to come back or for us to die and waiting for heaven. This life matters. What we do here matters. And I think what's in view here is share, the idea of sharing the gospel, labor, work, sharing the gospel, investing in people who know Jesus and helping them grow. And beyond that, setting up chairs on Sunday morning for church is not in vain. Greeting people in the name of Jesus is not in vain. Teaching two-year-olds the gospel of Jesus is not in vain. Your community group, the things that we do at this church to grow and encourage one another and live in community and make much of Jesus in this in this world that we live in. It's not in vain. None of it is in vain. And yet oftentimes what, the way that, that Christians live is we're just waiting for eternity. Or we look at other people's lives on social media and go, man, their life is really, really exciting. And mine is really boring. I love the movie Braveheart and Gladiator, and I think the reason people love those kinds of movies is because they see people taking risk. They see people taking courage and taking a stand, being immovable, if you will. And I think about William Wallace and Braveheart. I'm like, man, I want my life to count like that guy's life counted. The kind of life that risked and took courage. He took a stand. And his life counted for something, but what often functionally happens is we're kind of like the Scottish nobles, aren't we? We're just protecting the comforts and things that we have rather than taking risk to live for Christ and to build his kingdom. We're protecting our own. I don't know if you struggle with that. I struggle with that, to protect the comforts, to not take risks, to not share the gospel with my neighbor, to not invest in people's lives. Not take a route to where maybe instead of having 4,000 channels on my TV, I have two so I can give to a ministry cause. Do I really need seat warmers in my car? It's Houston, right? I mean, think about all the comforts that we have, and there's nothing wrong with those comforts. There's so much we can do with the resources that God has given us. And we're not going to miss out. Maybe I eat out once or twice a week rather than six times. If you're empty nesters, I get it. Eat out as much as you want. You've had to do dishes your whole life. But think about it. You go, well, what do I do? How do I invest? You know, how do I labor, as verse 58 would say? I don't, I don't know where to start. Start with the circles of people that God has put in front of you. He's put family, 
and friends and neighbors and co-workers. Man, you have a Ferrari of a message of the gospel. And it changes hearts. The gospel changes hearts and changes people. Share it. Talk about it. You can support ministries. Feed Teach Hope is a ministry that we've supported. This church has basically started a ministry to a bunch of kids in Kenya. And they need monthly support to keep them fed, to keep them educated, and to keep sharing the gospel with these kids. 50 bucks isn't that much. And if that's too much for you, compassion. 34 bucks a month. Who can't afford 34 bucks a month for a kid to get an education and hear the gospel message? Under over fellowship have needs right over here. We support that ministry. Kids meals. Serving kids in the name of Jesus. A hot meal. There's plenty to do. It's all around us. Or you can serve your church. You can set up chairs. You can serve in kids. You can greet people. All of this has meaning. It's not vain is what Paul's saying. Because of the resurrection, and there is eternity, what you do now matters for eternity. It's great. Think about the reward that that represents even in heaven. So how does the resurrection matter on Monday? Your labor, y'all, is not in vain. That's amazing. The investment you make now is not in vain. It bears fruit into eternity. So living a life on mission and serving a risen Savior has eternal significance. So we've talked about purpose. We've talked about direction and what to do. But there's something more personal that the Scripture outlines. And you see it in a bunch of texts in the New Testament. And, and so your third idea is this about the implication of the resurrection. See, since Christ is raised, real life change can happen in your life today. Real life change. Because the power of the resurrection can happen in your life today. And I know I'm here talking to a lot of people who have known Jesus for a really long time. And I think what often happens is we stop believing in the power of the Holy Spirit to really change us. Because we've, we've lived in the reality for so long that we know what we ought to be, and every day we know we don't measure up. And that's a good thing, because it's, it ought to drive us to the foot of the cross. It ought to drive us to Jesus. But one of the other effects that that has is not so good. If we let it, we stop believing that God is, can change our life. We stop believing that God can take something like lust or greed or comfort or fear or worry and do work in that arena of our lives. Do you believe that God can still change you? Membership class, we ask a couple questions. How has Christ changed, past tense, your life, i.e. the gospel, when you came to know Jesus? And how is Christ changing, present tense, your life? Because the New Testament, it's everywhere. The idea of the power of the resurrection that raised Christ from the dead, being alive and well in you through the Spirit, it's all over the place. I want to show you a couple of passages and I wanna, I'm going to give you a number of them because I want to make this point because if you're like me, this is where you're at sometimes. I'm going, can I really change? Can this thing, whatever that thing is in my life, really change? I've been struggling with this for 15 years, for 5 years, for 10 years, for 20 years. It's not changing. 
But I'm here to tell you that real life change can happen because of the resurrection, the newness of life, the resurrection power. Go, go with me to Romans chapter 6. Romans 6, 1 through 11. Romans 6 is all about how to live out this Christian life, that the power of sin is broken because of the cross and the resurrection. So you can live without this, the master of sin. So it's all about living out the Christian life and the power we have. And what does Paul say about it? Romans 6. Look at this. Romans 6, 1 through 11. It should be on the screen as well. What shall we say then? Shall we continue to sin and grace might increase? By no means. How can we who, look at the language here, died to sin, sin, still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? This is spiritual baptism, I think, shown in physical baptism. We were buried, therefore, with him in the baptism into death in order that just, here it is, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in what? The newness. The newness of life. For, and, and then he goes deeper into it. For I have been united with him in death like this. We shall certainly be united to him in a resurrection like his. We know that the old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing. So that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we have died with Christ we believe that we will also live with him. Death. Life. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never again die. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So, he's going to relate it. You also, underline that, must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to Christ. So when we baptize people here, what do we say? We say buried in the likeness of his death, raised in the likeness of his resurrection. There is a newness of life that you can tap into Because the resurrection happened. The newness of life that you can walk in. And you know what Paul does in chapter 8? Chapter 8 is all about the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is the primary agent in which you can change. And in verse 11, if you flip there, I don't have it on the screen. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, it's the Holy Spirit, who raised Christ Jesus from the dead, will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit, who dwells in you, there's a connection between the resurrection power that raised Christ from the dead and the Spirit of God working in your life. You can change through the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. This resurrection power that raised Jesus from the dead is at work in you as well. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? And and we we know some other passages. 2 Corinthians 5.17 I'm a new creation in Christ. The old is gone. The new has come. Galatians 2.20, I've been what? Crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives within me because he's raised. Ephesians 1. I'm going to keep going because I need to hear this. (laughs) I need to hear this. I need to believe that God can still be at work in my life. And I'm going to guess that you might need to hear this too. Ephesians. Ephesians 1. Look at this. This is awesome. Ephesians 1, 18 and 19. Having the eyes of our hearts enlightened that you may know what the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? Here it is. Verse 19. 
And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe? So this is for believers. According to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in heavenly places. There's a measurable greatness of his power that comes to you and to me because he was raised from the dead. Philippians 3.10. We were in Philippians just a few weeks ago. Do you remember Philippians 3.10? This is like Paul's mantra for life. After he gives his religious resume, and then he says, I count it all as rubbish. It's all worthless. But here's what I want to do. This is Apostle Paul. I want to know Christ. And I want to know the power of his resurrection. He's not talking about after he dies. He's talking about his life. The power of the resurrection. That's, what he, that's how he wanted to live, to know Christ and his power working through Paul. So, have I belabored it? I hope so. Since Christ is raised, real life change can happen. See, the power that raised Christ from the dead is still at work in you, making you new. See, there's still the presence of sin that so easily entangles us. Yet the power of sin is broken because of the cross and resurrection. That's the truth that many of you may need to hear this morning as you think about the things that you struggle with. The fear, the worry, the greed, the strong drink, the comfort, finding your worth in people or the way you look or lust. You need to know that the power of sin is broken because Christ is raised. Amen? So, Resurrection provides purpose. It provides direction in what to do. It has the ability to change life now. But what about later? What about when I'm walking with my mom through cancer? And she's living in the shadow of death. Where's the hope then? Where's the hope when the four-year-old dies? You've got to make sense of that. Where's the hope when somebody close to you dies? See, last, since Christ is raised bodily, restoration is ultimately coming. This is good news. Restoration is ultimately coming. Look back at verse 22 in 1 Corinthians. I know we've moved around. Restoration is coming. Verse 22 says, For as in Adam... All die, and also in Christ, all shall be made alive. Some go to a resurrection of life, and some are separated from God, but all will rise. But each one in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. The idea of firstfruits, it's the best, right? We see in the Old Testament, firstfruits is about bringing your best, and Christ is the best, but it's also something else. When you think about a harvest of crops or a harvest of fruit, there's a first batch, But what's coming after that first batch? All the other fruit is coming after that. All the other crops are coming after that. See, the people coming after Christ who's raised are you and me. If you know Christ, you're what comes after Jesus. That you will be raised as well. This is the promise of the resurrection. And if you keep looking here at verse 49 through 57, turn there with me. See, if you know Christ... 
our own resurrected body after death is coming. There is resurrection coming. And we often think of heaven as this kind of ethereal, spiritual place. We're kind of spirit beings. But listen, there's a new heavens and a new earth. There's a physical resurrection. Go read the Gospels after Jesus is raised. It's physical. He ate. He went through walls. That's kind of cool. He hung out with people. They recognized him. He talked with them. It's physical. It doesn't answer all of our questions about what happens when people die or what we will experience after we die or who we will know and how will we know them. Will we remember them? A loved one? A friend? It doesn't answer all those questions, but it's physical. There's physical restoration ultimately coming. Look at verse 49 and following. I love this. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, Adam, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven, Jesus. Verse 50. I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I will tell you a mystery. You shall not all sleep. You shall be all changed in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall be changed. Look at verse 56. Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, praise God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Restoration is ultimately coming. And sin and death have been taken care of by Jesus. So just as Christ was bodily raised, we will be physically raised like Him to an imperishable, spiritual, heavenly body. And if you want to know more about that, the example we have is Jesus. If you're young here, just for a minute, this probably isn't kind of in your view very much, like this future resurrection body. You're liking life right now. Your joints don't hurt. You don't have pains in your body. Maybe you've not gone through a lot yet. But as you get older, what after you turn 40, let me just say it. You start taking turmeric and fish oil, right? And you start having to do things to, to do things you like to do, like stretch and that so you don't have a tight back. Like the body thing gets real. And the pain of life and the brokenness of, of your body gets way more real. And if you've ever walked with someone who is going through sickness and pain or even dying a slow, hard death, this is a balm of hope. This truth will walk you through whatever you go through in your body. This is real. And it brings hope today if you're walking through it, brings hope to those you love if they're walking through it. And it makes sense of the broken world we live in to know that one day there will be ultimately restoration to your broken shell. There will be even restoration to this earth that is broken. Where there's arctic storms and hurricanes and fighting and mess, and politics, and nations, and conflict, that all of this will be restored. This is the promise that you see in this text. The restoration is ultimately coming. So how does the resurrection matter for Monday? It gives you hope that one day you will have a renewed 
heavenly body. There will be no more sin, no more pain, and no more suffering. That's glorious. That's a glorious hope. You ever seen the movie Forrest Gump? Some of you young people need to see that. You'll look at Tom Hanks real different if you see that movie. Forrest Gump. See, Forrest enlisted in the army as a private, and he had Lieutenant Dan, played by Gary Sinise. Remember Gary Sinise, Lieutenant Dan? And they go to Vietnam, Lieutenant Dan, they all get pinned down. And Lieutenant Dan, like a lot of the company, gets hit with shrapnel, a bomb, and Forrest comes and gets them all out. And he grabs Lieutenant Dan, and Lieutenant Dan's yelling and screaming and using colorful language with him. And saying, leave me here. And he pulls him out. War's over. You flash to a scene in New York where you see Lieutenant Dan in a wheelchair, no legs, hair's grown out, alcoholic, mad, drinking, throwing his life away. Forrest comes into his apartment. It's Christmas. You see the scene in his apartment. See Forrest and him sitting there, and you see the little television. You see him singing Christmas hymn carols. And the end of Silent Night. And Captain Dan's sitting there in his wheelchair, and he looks over to Forrest, and he says, Have you found Jesus? And unassuming Forrest says, I didn't know I was looking for him. And he laughs. Cap- Lieutenant Dan laughs. And he rolls his chair over to his bourbon. He says, I go up to the VA and that's all they talk about. Jesus this and Jesus that. And have you found Jesus? They even sent a priest over and said, if you accept Jesus into your heart, you will walk with Jesus in the kingdom of heaven. And he's mad at this point. And he says to Forrest, did you hear me? Walk. I'm a cripple. And the implication is that Lieutenant Dan doesn't get it. He thinks he's perpetually in this wretched body that has ruined his life. Lieutenant Dan needed to read 1 Corinthians 15. He needed to read about the meaning and the purpose of of a life believing in the resurrection of Jesus. He needed to read about how life here matters. Living for Christ and laboring for Christ matters for eternity. He needed to read that one day that he would, if he knew Jesus, if he accepted Jesus into his heart, as he said, that he would walk with a new, with new legs in the new heavens and the new earth by Jesus' side. There is no more sin, and there's no more sorrow. Do you know that message? I've got to be honest with you this morning. This passage, Paul is talking to Corinth, this Corinthian church made up of believers in Christ, and they were messed up, but they knew Christ, and they needed to be reminded of the truths of the resurrection. These truths that I've just talked about these promises these glorious future promise of resurrection 
I've got to be honest, it only applies to those who know Jesus, and that's not a bait and switch for anybody. That's just the truth of Scripture. So I would ask you this morning, do you know Jesus? See, here's what the cross does. The cross saves you from some things. It saves you from the wrath of God. It saves you from the evil one. It saves you from the curse of the law. It saves you from your sins, yourself. But the resurrection saves you to some things. It saves you to meaning and purpose. It saves you to newness of life right now. It saves you to a future resurrected body. You will walk with him in the streets of gold. That's worth giving our lives for. So your takeaway today is this. Because he lives, you can face tomorrow. Let me pray. Father, we thank you for the hope. The truths that we find in this passage this morning. That we can have meaning and purpose. That our faith is not worthless. That we're not believing in some Ponzi scheme. We're believing in the truth of the gospel. That Jesus died to take away our sins. And he rose to give us new life. Lord, we thank you that even what we do in this life can matter for eternity because you live. Your son lives. We can invest in a portfolio that will last, in a heavenly bank account that will be rewarded and multiplied even, as the scripture would say. So we thank you for the possibility of fruit and labor and fruitfulness even in heaven. And Lord, we thank you for the truth of the resurrection that one day we too, we too can be raised. We can have a new body, physical body. We can walk the streets of gold with you. We praise you for that. We thank you for the life-giving message of the gospel that even put your son on a cross in our place And yet that he rose again and he's alive and he's seated at the right hand of the Father, interceding for us still. So we thank you for those promises. We thank you for your presence in our lives. Let us lean into it by the power of your spirit. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen.